Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon for Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. God wanted so badly for us to know what He's like, He decided to personally come and let us know that, living like it, demonstrating it to, to us in our life. But Jesus didn't come claiming to have the best explanation about God. He claimed to be the best explanation of God. Now, there are some things about God that we would have never been able to know without Jesus. That's why if you want to know what God thinks, then listen to Jesus and what he said. If you want to know what God will do, watch Jesus and see what he did. And if you want to know how God will respond to different people in different circumstances in their life, then pay attention to how Jesus responded to people. Now, even though he's not here with us today, we can read the stories of those eyewitnesses in the Bible. And that's what I want you to do this morning. Join me in John chapter 9. What is it that Jesus is teaching me about God? Well, in the first couple of verses, it goes like this. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who'd been blind since birth. His disciples asked, Teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because he or his parents sinned? Now notice their assumption right off. And one thing you'll see is that the disciples of Jesus didn't always have everything figured out about God. They assume, for example, when they see this guy who'd been born blind, that somebody must have done something wrong. And God was punishing them for that. Because after all, the prevailing assumption in their mind was, bad things happen to people because they made God mad and now God's busted them for it. And it's the same thing, honestly, that we still ask ourselves today when life turns upside down for us. Is this my fault? What did I do wrong? Is God punishing me now for something I did earlier in my life? In verse 3 of John 9, Jesus' answer is this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus wants to be clear as a bell on this one. It's nobody's fault. Here's what Jesus introduced as a revolutionary concept about God. Pain has a purpose. Pain and suffering are not always the result of God punishing somebody. Okay, well then, if it's not my fault, then why would God let this happen? What kind of a God is he that would just arbitrarily pound on somebody and, and bring pain and suffering into their life? Well, what Jesus is teaching me about God is this. God can reveal his power through our pain. You see, they assumed suffering A was our fault and B, that nothing good could come out of pain. We, like them, we just wanted to stop. But Jesus reveals a completely different idea to us. This isn't God showing his power, flexing his you know, invisible muscle by just inflicting pain into our life. This is God showing his power over pain in our life. I want to say that again, just so it sinks in. 
This is not God showing his power by inflicting pain in life. This is God showing his power over pain in our life. Because honestly, what Jesus wants us to understand about God is that God can bring relief into our life. He wants to make this clear. This is God doing this, not me. In verse 4 and 5, he says, while it's daytime, we must continue doing the work of the one who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, what does Jesus teach us about God? According to him, he is at work in this world. So he's not abandoning you. He's not ignoring you. That's not why you're suffering. That's not why things have turned upside down. That's not why this guy was born blind. He is at work in this world. And like Jesus, he wants to work in this world through us. And he gives us limited time to get that done. Night is coming, he says, when no one can work. There's not anybody who's, who's closer to retirement than they are college that doesn't look in the mirror sometimes and just ask, where did the time go? And trust me, as a preacher, there's hardly a week goes by that about Thursday I say, it's Sunday again. If I were ever to write an autobiography, I'm convinced that I should make the title of it, Sunday comes every three days. <laughs> because it seems like that's how quick the calendar keeps turning. But another thing that I want you to see that Jesus teaches us is this. He wants to bring light to this world through us. Just like he did with Jesus. He doesn't want darkness to reign. He wants light to come. And he's willing to work through people to make that happen. Now, if you look in verses 6 and 7, it says then, <clears throat> just something that sounds bizarre at first. It just does. He spits on the ground, he makes some mud with it, and he puts the mud on the guy's eyes. And this is where everybody says, ew, right? And then he tells the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means one who's sent. So the man did just that. He went and washed and came back seeing. Now, don't read this like some dry old history book. Read this and realize what's being said like somebody's telling you what they actually saw happen. I mean, honestly, it kind of gives light to the old-fashioned phrase, here's mud in your eye, for one. But it also probably describes how Jesus did it. Because it really wouldn't be the first time that God made an eyeball out of the dirt would it? According to the story of creation, that's what happened with Adam. So, what does Jesus teach you about God? God blesses those who listen to him and are obedient to him. He said, go wash in the pool. He did, and when he did, he came back seeing. Don't miss that point. 
That's one of the things that Jesus wants us to understand about God. If we want God's blessing in life, how do we expect to get it if we're not willing to listen to God and be obedient to what He asks us to do? For example, when do you suppose, and this is purely conjecture, but reading the story like it says, when do you suppose the man started to see? When he left Jesus? When he got to the pool? When he asked people, hey, can you get me close to the water? It's not that difficult, is it, to see the sequence of events. He began to see after he was fully obedient to Jesus. So, what's he teach us about God? He's going to bless those who are obedient. He didn't see it coming. He didn't see anything coming. And he didn't know how it was going to work out, did he? No. In verse 8 and 9, nobody else understood it either. His neighbors and others, catch this phrase, who knew him as a blind beggar, asked each other, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some of them said he was. But others said, nah, it just looks like him. Meanwhile, the beggar kept insisting, it's me. I'm that guy. Yes, it really is me. Again, what's Jesus teach us about God? He has the power to change how people see us, even if it takes a bit. In verse 10 and 11, they ask him, so how is it that you can see? And his answer was this, the man that they called Jesus made some mud, smeared it on my eyes, and then he told me to go wash it off in a pool of Siloam, and when I did, I could see. And that's when they asked him a really dumb question. Where is he? I don't know, he replied. I couldn't see where he went because I was blind. <laughs> Sherlock. <clears throat> Verse 12. Where is this man? I don't know. Verse 13. And then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Now, you have to remember their culture and their time that they were in. They were living under the law of Moses, so if somebody was healed of their sickness, they had to go get proof that they tested negative so that they could come out of quarantine. Huh. Same issues, different century. But that was the law of Moses. In verse 13 and 14 of John 9, it says that they then took the man who'd been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Talk about being short-sighted. Talk about being able to see the forest for the trees. This guy that they've known all their life has been blind since the day he was born, and now he can see. And all they can see is whether or not he should be allowed to see. Because it happened on the Sabbath. Their focus was about whether or not it was work for Jesus to make mud eyeballs. What were they going to do? 
gouge out his eyes and say, you don't have a right to see? Jesus, did you have the right permit before you went to work on this project? <laughs> what is he teaching me about God? He isn't limited by our expectations. Or, as he goes on in verse 15 and 16, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. And so he told them. <laughs> I, can, I can just hear him. Yeah. Like I said, he put the mud on my eyes, and then he washed, and then I washed it away, and I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God. And their reasoning for coming to that conclusion? Because he was working on the Sabbath, so they had their mind made up. They were convinced that they had God all figured out. They had a nice little box for him. God can do whatever God's going to do on the first six days. That seventh day, he ain't doing nothing. So you're on your own. Stay home. Don't do anything. God wouldn't do that today. It's his day off. Well, funny how that worked out because they had plenty of time to get all worked up about a guy who'd been born blind and could now see We don't care who this guy Jesus says he is. We don't care what you say this guy Jesus claims to have done. Their conclusion is this. He can't possibly be God's authorized representative because we know this. God wouldn't do that. Really. Pay no attention to the guy standing in front of you that you've known all your life that never could see before and now can see. Pay no attention to what your own eyes tell you. Just because it doesn't fit into your expectation of how God works. Verse 16 says, Others asked, How could someone who is a sinner do miracles like this? Who are they talking about? The guy born blind who can now see? No. Their conclusion was Jesus can't be who he claims to be. He has to be a sinner because he worked on the Sabbath. And that makes him a sinner. So because Jesus did what he did, that makes him a sinner. And we know God doesn't work through sinners. Well, guess what? There's a deep division among them, which is probably a really nice cleaned up version of saying it all hit the fan. Verse 17. The Pharisees questioned the man who had been blind. Still, again. What do you say about the one who healed your eyes? And he makes this most amazing logical conclusion. I think he must be a prophet. He's probably not going to say, I think he's God. The best, highest standing that he can think of to say is, 
He must be God's representative. He must be God's spokesman. He must be here to tell us what we know about God. In verse 18 and 19, it says, They still refused to believe the man who'd been blind and could now see. So, they sent for his parents. And they asked them. Isn't this amazing? Is this awesome? Because we get so focused on the wrong things that we can't see what's right in front of us. They ask their parents, is this your son that you say was born blind? Now remember what it had said earlier. They were his neighbors. They had known him their whole life. They knew who his parents were. They knew who their son was. And yet here they are. Did you bring a ringer in here? You just passed somebody off as your son? What are you trying to pull? In 20 and 21, his parents replied, We know this is our son, and we know he was born blind. We don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Huh. I wonder if he saw the license plate on the bus that his parents were driving right then. So verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already announced that anyone who said Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one of God, anyone who said Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. We might describe it they'd be canceled. They'd lose their right to be in general population with other people. They'd lose their right to do business and make money. Because being an accepted member in good standing of the synagogue is what gave them all of those rights, and they would lose their right to have a relationship with God. Verse 24, the leaders called the man back and made him swear on the Bible, if they had a Bible. You swear to God, are you telling the truth? Because we know that Jesus is a sinner. Again, they were convinced that they had God all figured out. They thought they knew everything about God. But you, think, you see, the thing is, that's why Jesus came, right? There are things that will never make sense to us about God apart from Jesus. Some people spend their whole life being super religious, convinced they're right, and everybody else are just a bunch of sinners like they accuse Jesus of. And yet they couldn't have been more wrong about God. In verse 25 of John 9, he says, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I can see. You see, sometimes we get so convinced that we know everything there is to know about God, that we refuse to believe anything about God and what He can do in our life. And that's what Jesus came to teach, among other things, that God is worthy of our trust, even if we don't know all the answers. Now, don't miss that. 
God preserved this guy's story to help us realize we don't have to be able to answer every question about God before we can trust Him. We don't have to be able to understand every detail first of how it worked, when it happened, Let's do a post-mortem autopsy to figure it out so that we can write it down. No, we, we're just called to believe in him. You see, Jesus wants us to understand it's okay to believe without having all of the answers to everybody else's questions. They're dug in, and they're not giving up their position. You ever known anybody like that? You ever been somebody like that? that's just that argumentative and you're not giving in just because you don't want to give in even when you know what you're saying is wrong? We'll pray for you. <laughs> Verse 26, they ask him again, so what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them in verse 27, I, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I know, he says, you want to hear it again just because you love the story so much. You want to become one of his disciples too, right? And at that point, verse 28, they insulted him and said, you may be his follower, but we follow Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. We don't even know where this guy comes from. You see, it's a fair point to make that Jesus comes to teach us that God is not limited by what we know and our assumptions. Verse 30 through 33, this guy's getting bold. He says, what a strange thing. Or you could abbreviate it with the way that we react to people like that. Huh. <laughs> you don't know where he comes from. But he opened my eyes. Now, we all know, he's just kind of quoting the standard assumption of the day. We all know, according to you, that God doesn't listen to sinners. But he listens to the godly person who obeys him. Who else has ever done that? Nobody's ever heard of somebody giving sight to a man born blind. Key phrase, if this man were not from God... By your own rationale, he couldn't have done it. You see, the assumption about God was that he only spoke through prophets like Moses. Never an unknown like this guy that we don't even know where he comes from. The assumption about God was that he would ignore those who weren't perfect. And yet here, this guy's clearly not perfect because he's ignoring what we've always known, that you can't work on a Sabbath. And this guy challenges them to open their mind to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God might be a little bit bigger than they think he is. It gets a little heated at that point. Verse 34, their response to him is, we're just going to start calling names because that's what people do. It just gets ugly. You've been a sinner since the day you were born. No, I was blind since the day I was born, but, you know, that's not in there. You, you've been a sinner since the day you were born. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. The Pharisees' reaction 
is to insult him and label him and get rid of him because he was a constant reminder that maybe, just maybe, God might work in ways that they didn't understand. So what is it that Jesus teaches us about God? How about this? Individuals matter to him. Our Father shows mercy to people who don't deserve it. Our Father shows mercy to imperfect people who don't have all of the perfect answers. Don't let what you believed your whole life about God get in the way of what he's doing right in front of you now. This guy's probably lived his whole life assuming that somehow his parents must have sinned and so God's punishing them by punishing him by being blind. Surely, he concludes, this has to be my fault because that's just who God is. He's here to punish people. Here's another thing God, er, that we learn about God. He doesn't need our approval before he does something good to bless somebody. What you've believed about God should never give you the right to be abusive to other people. Because God takes a personal interest in our life. Not just the qualified people like Moses. Not just the qualified people like the Pharisees, the leaders of the synagogue. God takes a personal interest in what's happening in everyday, regular people's life. And we would never understand that about God if Jesus hadn't shown up to teach us that, would we? That's why we have to be committed to learn more about Jesus so that we can start to love more just like Jesus. And when we do, we'll begin to actually look more like Jesus in how we live our life. Verse 35, the story doesn't end. It continues with this. When Jesus heard they'd thrown him out, Man, it's a great thought. He found him. He went looking for him, and he found him. And he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, remember Jesus' answer to the question, why? This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in this guy's life. Jesus came to show us how God works in the life of everyday individual people. And when he healed people, he did it one at a time. Now, he clearly needed some kind of a consultant to come in, meet with he and the disciples, and figure out how he could be more efficient like that. I mean, because when you've got a whole village crowded at the door, coming in one at a time, and you're taking the time to one by one by one by one, lay hand, no wonder it was late into the night. Why didn't he just stand there and wave a hand over, I mean, break out the magic wand of Jesus, whatever that would be. Wave his hand over everybody and say, y'all healed. Now go home. I'm going to bed. He didn't do that, though. Why? It wasn't because of a lack of power or ability. He did it because Jesus wants to teach us that individuals matter to God. 
He replied, sir, if you will tell me who he is, in verse 36 and 37, I will put my faith in him. You've already seen him, Jesus answered. And right now, he's talking to you. It amazes me how you can read something over and over and over again, and yet the next time you read it, all of a sudden you can see what you've missed before. Why would this have been the conversation? Remember, the guy was still blind when Jesus put the mud on him. He'd never seen Jesus, had he? And people who are blind will develop an acute sense of hearing. He could recognize the voice of the guy who did that to him. He knew he could trust that guy because that guy whose voice he recognized is the guy who put the mud on him and told him, go wash. And he did, and he could, he, and he could see. So when, he, when Jesus finds him, That's why he says, if you tell me who he is, I'll put my faith in him. Why? Because he was willing to put his faith in the one whose voice he recognized. He recognized Jesus' voice. He knew he could trust that guy. Which is why in verse 38, his response is, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him because he was finally able to put the voice together with the face David I want you to praise team join me back up on stage I'll wrap up with this so I've said this a lot throughout this particular chapter but let's just kind of highlight what Jesus is teaching me about God I mean here here's three main things okay number one God can reveal his power in our pain. God can reveal his power over our pain. Pain does not disqualify me from God working in my life. Pain may actually make me more able to see God work in my life. And the second thing Jesus teaches us about God is this, that God extends mercy to imperfect people. You, at one point, would have said this guy's been handicapped his whole life. He's been disabled his whole life. He's had to depend on others his whole life. For his whole life, he's never been able to live his own life. And God has mercy on people who aren't perfect. Third and last thing that I want you to focus on with this is that God cares for each one of us individually. He could have just walked into the village. He could have called on anybody who was sick, be healed. But he found this guy. Why in the world would God do this? What does it teach us about God? He's at work in this world. He wants to work in this world through us. He gives us a limited time to allow God to work through us to bring light into a dark world. The question is for you this morning, are you ready to accept that God is real and is able to work in your life?
even if you've always felt like God was against you? Are you ready to put your trust in Him, even if you don't have all the answers? And even if other people tell you not to? Are you willing to show Him your faith by doing what He commands you to do? Jesus is the one who came to bring us back to God, and He says this, Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I commanded you. Matthew 28, verses 18 and following. So what about you? Are you ready to let Jesus teach you about God? We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.